really warm welcome to the teaching ministry of New Life Church Crawley. We're a multicultural, intergenerational church. And we believe in the gospel of Christ. We believe in spreading his love through his word and through his works. We really hope that you enjoy what you hear today. We'd love for you to connect with us via the usual social media outlets, such as Facebook or on our website. That even if our hearts condemn us, you're greater than our hearts. And so we thank you, we can come, we can find healing, we can find wholeness, we can find forgiveness. Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table and Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it and said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Father, we thank you that when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper for us, he instituted a new covenant, a new opportunity, a new relationship with you, not the letter of the law, but the spirit that brings life to us. And Father, as we humbly, as we soberly, as we carefully take the emblems of bread and wine this morning, we thank you for what you've done. We will remember you. Because of 1 Corinthians 10, 16, it talks about this idea of participating and, and sharing. It talks about though we are many, we are one body. So what I'd like you to do is we're gonna play another little video um, that's some clips from The Chosen uh, with an appropriate song around communion. Just come and just take a piece of bread and just dip it in. And you can take it back with you or you can eat it there. And just come, and as you're breaking, you're rem reminding yourself, you're part of a body. Not only this local congregation, but the body of Christ right around the world. And as you dip it in, you're reminded of the sacrifice of the blood of Christ for us. So King and Amelia would lead us. They'll be first up if you want to play that video for us. Please. Just come if you feel it's appropriate and when you're ready. We all start on the outside, the outside looking in. This is where grace begins. We were hungry, we were thirsty, with nothing left to give. Oh, the shape that we were in. Just when all hope seemed lost Love opened 
Take a moment while folks are still uh, serving and being served. Why don't you take a moment to, to welcome one another? Uh, this is a good opportunity as well. If you'd like prayer, uh, just invite someone to pray for you. Ask God's blessing on them. Speak God's blessing into someone's life. You may have something that you want to share with them as you pray. Just let's go for that. Let's do that. If you're online, uh, thank you for joining us. Why don't you put some messages in the comments? And if you haven't already had communion, uh, you can prepare for that. And uh, you can actually pause me on the stream. These guys can't. But if you're on the stream, you can pause me. 
get communion ready and then have communion together. The rest of us, why don't we welcome one another, say hello, and if you'd like prayer, then ask someone to pray for you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Okay. Um, so in the kids' park, we've got this table. It actually comes flat. So what I need you guys to do is to fold it, get stuck together to make this shape. And it's the, it's the last supper table. So you've got Jesus in the middle and his disciples and all the food. So um, take it up, color it, take it on, and during the week, um, put some prayers on it. Hmm. Every day of the week, literally write something that you want God to do and just the family can also join in, mom and dad. You can join in and put some prayers on this. And also in the park, we've got the word puzzle. There are a couple of words out there. Find them, color them, or circle them out, as you normally would do. <laughs> and then we've got this lovely end. And I think it just shows how God, it tells us about God's love. And um, yeah, um, it talks about the sermon for today. Go through it and have fun with your activity pack. Thank you very much. Thank you, Faith. Well done. Bless you. So, Father, we pray as we turn to your word today that you would help us, that you would let our ears be open, along with our hearts, along with our minds. Speak into us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. I'm reading a book at the minute that I can highly recommend to you. It's called Morality by Jonathan Sachs. He's the former uh, chief rabbi of the UK, passed away in 2020. And it's a, a fascinating book that looks a little bit about culture, about some of the changes in culture, about some of the, the, the things that we could identify that have changed and you know, older people look back and say, oh, it's not like that when we were young. And all the young people go, roll their eyes and go. <laughs> But it traces some of the, the kind of political, philosophical, and, and, and moral changes that we're facing in our society. And one of the things that he identifies is how our language has changed from we to I. Language has changed from we to I. So it used to be much more about community. It used to be much more about we. And some of you from different cultures were, will know, and there's a, that famous phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. And we'll be much more aware of that community aspect and are shocked when you come to the UK and find how individualistic people are. We see, we see in our language how people have become much more selfish, how they've become much more self-centered, how people have become much more self-gratifying and individualistic in their approach to life. He doesn't use the term, but I do. I think we've become quite aggressive in our individualism. So much so that it's got to the point where people say, well, it's my business, and as long as I'm not hurting anyone else, I can do what I want, and it's none of your business. But actually, in the famous quote of John Donne, no man is an island. We don't just live as an individual. Our choices do affect people. They do affect people around us. They do affect community. So we can't just live in splendid isolation and do what we want. Because what would happen if we all did just what we want to do? 
It would be chaos, wouldn't it? But we realize we live in a culture that's almost become what we might describe as a competitive victimhood. It's my, my trouble's worse than your trouble. My, my injustice is worse than yours. My circumstances have been worse than yours. Therefore, I should be recognized more than you. And we have all these little pockets of individuals and individual groups that say, you must understand me, but at the same time say, well, you can't understand me because my circumstances are unique. <laughs> we know we live in a very individualistic, self-gratifying consumer-driven culture. And can I say that that idea of, of individualistic, consumer-driven culture even creeps into the church? Now, I'm, I'm not obviously talking about this church. I'm talking about every other church. <laughs> and I'm talking about the, the church in general. But it's true, isn't it? We can easily become very consumer oriented in our approach even to church life. Which is why this idea of sharing and corporateness and community and body is really important. It's why later on Kerry will be bringing some people into membership because it matters. It's actually important. On the 25th of September 2019, when there was one of those, another one of those, Brexit debates. We should have some slides. And Boris Johnson kind of got up and it was a very volatile speech. And he was often like that, wasn't he, as Prime Minister anyhow. But this particular one contained a, a, an unusual level of aggression. In fact, he used the words traitor, betrayal, surrender when he was talking about anyone who disagreed with him. Harvard University did a study on this and they reckoned that he used a hostile term every 28 words, which is basically one and a half sentence. Every 28 words, he used a term that was hostile and aggressive towards other people. Not only that, he used the term I, meaning himself, 340 times in that speech. Now, if you listen to anything about politics, it's, it's always the royal we, isn't it? We, the government, will do this. We will do this. It, it, it's the royal we. But in that speech, it was a prime example. And might I suggest, this is not a political statement, but might I suggest Boris Johnson is a, is a good example of someone who's very individualistic, who's very self-gratifying, who actually is looking after his own interests rather than other people. And that's why he was ousted. The culture in which we now live is very self-satisfying, it's very self-gratifying, it's very consumer-driven. But that absolutely is in contrast to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has a completely different culture. If you have your Bible, I read it earlier, but let's turn there again. We're going to look at Luke 22. It's it's the story of the Last Supper. We're on this series, Meals with Jesus. And this is one of the most important meals that's recorded in the New Testament. And Jesus is, is following the, the, the Jewish Passover. It was Passover time. Uh, Sides has just come back from Israel and really enjoyed and got a, a real perspective on what culture was like and walked the streets of Jerusalem and, and St. Galilee and Nazareth and all those other places. 
And so Jesus is following this Jewish Passover rhythm, but he comes and he, he, he redefines it for us who are followers of Christ. And he redefines it in some significant ways. One of the ways that he does it is it's more about we than me. So let's look again at Luke 22, verse 14. When the apostles, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you that now I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And we'll stop there for a moment. So what does this meal of Jesus involve? What is this meal with Jesus? We've looked at various aspects of meals with Jesus. What is it about this one? Let me suggest a couple of simple things. A meal with Jesus involves a passionate declaration. A passionate declaration. Jesus comes and says, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you. Now that doesn't make sense. Because this Passover meal means he's about to go to his suffering. It means he's about to go to the cross. It means he's about to face all the rejection and the betrayal from his own disciples. Most of whom left him. And the only one um, that, that really remained was a bit dodgy anyhow. It was the women who were the most faithful around that time, not the men. One of them fled half naked. That's how desperate he was to get away. So why would Jesus be looking to this? When Jesus said he's eager to eat this meal with them, he's more than saying, I'm a little bit hungry. This is more than natural hunger. This is more than normal hunger. In fact, the word that's used there means this. It's a desire, a passionate longing, or a craving. Have you ever had one of those feelings? Have you ever had a craving for something? Any of you pregnant women ever had cravings? Ever been hangry? I'm not looking at anyone in particular, Sinead. But, you know, there are those times when we are hungry and we have that craving. You see, God doesn't mind passionate desire. God doesn't mind us being passionate about things. But it's when it's directed in the right way. Because this same word is the word that's negatively translated elsewhere as lust. That's the force of the word. That's the passion, uh, the kind of sense of the word. It's desire, passionate longing, and craving. It's the same emotion, but where we direct that energy, where we direct that passion, where we direct that craving, determines whether it's positive or negative. And God comes in and says, I want you to direct your, your passionate longing, your craving in the right way. In Romans chapter 12, he says, keep your spiritual passion The Amplified says this, enthusiastically serving the Lord. Do not be lazy, but always work hard. Work for the Lord with a heart full of love for him. I love that version, the NLV version. Work for the Lord with a heart full of love. So it's not about rules and regulations and demands. It's out of a heart of love that we want to keep that passion for him. It's out of a heart of love that we do what's necessary. It's out of a heart of love 
that we will be careful how we live. Psalm 42 verse 1 is one of those famous passages in the Old Testament. As a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. A deer will only pant after it's faced a lot of exertion and is at the point of exhaustion. And even in that place, even that, in that place of the deer coming to the end of itself, it's longing for that water because if not, its heart could rupture. It's a serious condition. But in that place, there's such a desire for that need to be met with the water. And God comes and says, that's the desire and the passion we need for God. In John 15, verse 15 Jesus is having this last supper with his disciples and John records it quite at length and it's, it's quite an intimate portrait of some of the things Jesus says to his disciples. And one of the things he says to them, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. In that moment of, of intimacy, in that moment of the Passover where Jesus is passionately craving, where he's longing, where he has that desire, part of the reason for that, he says, I want to embrace you. I want to bring you into that place of intimacy with you. You're no longer servants. You're no longer kept at a distance. I want to bring you in close to me. Isn't that an amazing thought? That God longs to bring. Jesus himself said it about the whole city of Jerusalem. How I long to gather you. As a hen would gather her chicks. But you would not. And that's often the challenge. We'll come to that in a moment. A meal with Jesus involves that passionate declaration. And he said elsewhere, John 6:37, whoever comes to me, I will never dri drive away. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? We don't have to clean ourselves up to come to God. We come to God as we are. And then God does his work of cleaning in our life. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have arrived. We come to God as we are. And Jesus says, I will never cast you away. So how do we respond to that today? How do we respond to that passionate desire of Christ to draw us in, to call us his friends? Gospel of John says that we can receive and believe as many as received him, to those who believed on his name, those he gave the right to become children of God. Not born of human descent or human will, but by God. Isn't that an incredible thought? That as we come to God, we have to receive him. We have the opportunity, we have a choice to receive Christ. And part of that, part of that journey is not only that we receive him for ourselves, but that we believe. That we believe on him. That we believe he is the son of God. And John has a very unique way of doing that. Belief or believe is a very important word for John. But it's not a mental ascent. It's not ticking the box like we believe two and two equals four. It actually means to put your whole weight on something. It's like when you came in this morning, none of you checked the chair, none of you examined the chair, you didn't check, it was stable, you sat immediately down, you had faith to believe 
that that chair would hold your weight. You put your whole weight on that chair. And that's what it means to believe. To put your whole weight on Jesus for salvation. To put your whole weight on him for forgiveness. It's not our own righteousness. It's not our own merits. It's what he has done for us. That we've celebrated in communion. I find that a a really incredible thought. That we have an opportunity to receive and believe in him. And many of you will have done that. For some of you that will have been a long time ago. For some of you that will have been recently. But here's a little bit of a challenge. Particularly for those of you who have been on the road a little while. If Jesus is passionate and he's longing for us to have that intimacy. If we have received and believed, then let me ask you a challenging question. What is the depth of your personal relationship with God? What is the depth of your personal relationship with God? Not whether you come to church. Not whether you sing the songs. Not whether you raise your hands. Not even whether you shout out. But when you're not here, when you're not in this environment when you're surrounded by others, what is the depth of your relationship with God? That's a challenging question. But God longs for us to come close to him. What is the depth of your emotional maturity? When God doesn't answer your prayer as quickly as you would like, or even in the wave, you're like, do you throw your dummy out of the pram? Do you think, well, I'm not going back there. I'm not going to trust God again. I'm not going to pray for this again. Is there an emotional maturity in your life? Or are you basically a toddler? (laughs) For some others, maybe we need to ask, what is the quality of your marriage or single relationships? What is the quality of your marriage relationship? You see, that, that reflects whether we really have believed and received. Not just what we do in church, but actually how we treat our marriage partner, if we have one. The quality of our relationships with those around us. What is the integrity And the depth of our relationships as a church community. Is it all just, oh, hiya, 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 hiya. And then we, it's like playing a game of snooker. We all go into our pockets. And the rest of the week we don't have any connection. God's looking for something that has depth. He's passionate about that. Jesus is passionate about transformation. And we say this repeatedly, don't we? I'm not preaching for information. I'm preaching for transformation. And Jesus is longing to see transformation in our lives. And not just an external transformation. Not just putting cladding on the building. Not just putting scaffolding around. But that the foundation of our relationship with him is one of passion. Because that's what has integrity. He's not just looking for external behaviors to change. He's looking for something in our heart to be changed. A meal with Jesus involves a passionate declaration. Do you have that passionate declaration? Secondly, a meal with Jesus involves a prophetic statement. Jesus says, I'm not going to eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 
Jesus always had this awareness. He understood that he would come, that he would live obedient life to the Father, that he would die on the cross, that he would suffer, that he would be raised again, that he would ascend to heaven, and one day he would return. Jesus always knew there was a future aspect, which is why in places like Hebrews 12, uh, it's said of Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus knew he had a future. Jesus knew the kingdom of God would one day come fully. And he, when he stood up and he began to preach, he said, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is here. It's at hand. But we know that that kingdom of God has not yet fully come. We know that one day it will. So when Jesus is saying the kingdom of God will one day come fully which is when there will be no more tears, no more sickness, no more death. The kingdom of God will fully come. But until then, this redefinition of the Passover into the Lord's Supper or Eucharist or communion, it's called by different names. Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are symbolically proclaiming the fact of the Lord's death until he comes again. That's what we do. That's why it's important. Jesus said, as often as you do it, you are proclaiming, you are demonstrating the Lord's death till he comes. That's why it's important. That's why it's important we do it right and we do it well with hearts that are open to him. But also the last book in the Bible paints this wonderful picture. It's called the marriage supper of the lamb and the lamb being Jesus' sacrificial. It's imagery really from the Old Testament where they would have sacrificed a lamb. And Jesus comes as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember in the gospel of John, when John sees him, he said, behold, look at the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So it's, it's full of this imagery. And in Revelation 19, it talks about the marriage supper of the lamb. And it picks up on the, the marriage customs of the first century Jews where they would have had three stages of marriage. And the last one is when they would have come together for a feast lasting for days. Some of you come from cultures where you know that's true. It just goes on and on for days. And that's why the wedding at Cana, when they ran out of wine, it was such a scandal. It was such a shocking thing because they knew this was... This was not the end of the feast. This would have to go on. More people would come and go for days. So to run out of wine so early was scandalous. So John has this vision of the wedding feast of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb is a glorious celebration at the end of time for all of those who are in Christ. All of those who are followers of Christ. It's not for everyone. It's for those who are followers of Christ. What a wonderful picture. Did you see earlier in The Chosen where, where Matthew laid that banquet out? Think of the best banquet you could ever imagine. He's not so popular now, but remember Heston Blooming Impossible when he used to do these, that's what I call them, when he used to do these feasts because no one could cook like him. He used to do these feasts and everything was edible, including the plates and trees and everything they used to do. Imagine, any MasterChef fans? Yeah. Wasn't it amazing what they did even this week? 
It's amazing the art and the creation and the celebration. And that Greg Wallace, he's a piglet, isn't he? He just scoffs at food, especially at desserts. But I tell you what, I wouldn't mind being in the MasterChef kitchen. I bet you those cameramen are licking their lips every time. Imagine the best feast and the best celebration you could ever have. And then just multiply it by a billion times. That's the picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb. When creation comes and worship him. Every tribe, every nation, every culture coming to worship the Lamb. Coming to celebrate his salvation. But in the meantime, we keep taking communion. And in the meantime, we recognize that we are proclaiming the Lord's death till he come. We take it one more time and one less time. That's the paradox of it. One more time and yet it's one less time because we know we're heading to a future and Jesus said the kingdom of God will come fully at one point. But in the meantime, for us, we have to stand our ground because we face difficulties. We face challenges. We face a culture that wants to shape us and mold us into its, Im its own image. And that's why Paul says in Romans 12, do not be squeezed into the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know God's will. It's good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we wanna, don't want to be squeezed into the mold. We have that future perspective. And so we know we don't throw away our confidence. That's what the writer to Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, 34 he says, since we have this confidence, since we know what Christ has done, since we know salvation, we don't throw away our confidence. And if we don't throw away our confidence, it will be richly rewarded. Folks, I know some of you are going through difficult times. Tomorrow we'll be having a day of prayer and fasting. Kerry will give more details as we pray for Katie and Shane as he goes to have operation to remove cancer. We know others are facing medical challenges. We know some of you are facing relational challenges, some financial. We understand these things, but I want to encourage you this morning that this isn't the end. This isn't everything. And when Jesus comes in that meal, he has this prophetic statement of a future. We have hope. We have a hope that's certain. That's what Hebrews says, go and read. We have hope that's certain because Jesus Christ has purchased salvation for us. Folks, be encouraged this morning. Whatever you're facing, don't throw away your confidence in him and in his ability to sustain you. Paul faced many difficult situations. He was abandoned at times. He was deserted. He was left alone. He was isolated. His closest friends didn't even come to his aid sometimes. But he said this, I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him against that day. He's able to keep us, folks. He's able to keep us from falling. In fact, we read it earlier in 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Folks, I, I, hit, I hit this, burst your bubble. But your temptations are not unique to you. They really aren't. You are unique. 
but your temptations aren't. <laughs> we all face the same temptations, but we have a hope, and we have a hope of a way out because Christ sustains us. Be encouraged this morning. Finally, a meal with Jesus involves a potential opportunity. Verse 17. Take this and share it among yourselves. See, the Christian life is, is never about me, myself, and Irene. It's never about simply that individual choice. It's always the corporate. It's always bringing us back. You cannot be a Christian on your own effectively. You're called to be part of a community. You're called to be part of a local church. You're called to be part of something where sometimes people will annoy you. I'm not looking at anyone. I look at my wife because she doesn't annoy me. No. Yeah, no, she didn't. We're called a community together and we're all different. We come from different cultures. There's misunderstanding. There's conflict. There's times where we lose patience with one another. All of those things are absolutely normal. But we're still called the community together. We're still called to share life together. And that's why when we see people drifting, that's why I'll follow up with them. That's why the pastoral team will follow follow. We don't want you to drift because being together is important. In fact, again, the writer of the Hebrews says it, don't neglect meeting together. And all the more as you see the day of Christ approaching. There is something corporate that is so important. Statistics suggest the people have an average of about 550, 554 online friends through social media. But they have less than five real friends. That's the culture in which we live. That's the society in which we live. And I think if we're going to be effective, if we're going to grow in our Christian faith, we need to have people who will speak into our lives. We need to have people who will say this, no, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Or no, you're right, keep on going. We need to have people that we give permission to share themselves with us, to share their lives with us. One of the things that I'm praying through at the moment is inviting some people into a close-knit group with me, a mentorship group. It won't be everyone. But there will be some men that I'm going to invite into a small group with me to be accountable to me and me to them. Because I think we need to do life together. I think we need to share more than a passing greeting on a Sunday morning. I think we need one another in a more meaningful and deep way. Because we are so isolated. We've lost so much of that community aspect of church. Kerry made the point last week of the importance of unity expressed as community. And that doesn't mean we're all the same. And that doesn't mean we agree with everything. You don't even agree with everything I say. So you're not going to agree with everything else. And that's okay. Because we know there are some scenarios. We know there are some leaders and churches that whatever they preach, whatever they say, whatever opinion they have... It's deemed to be direct from heaven and you can't disagree. That's not what the Bible teaches. You can disagree with me. You might be wrong, but you can still disagree with me. 
Because like you, I'm a fallible human being. I have a particular function to lead church, but I'm a normal human being. I get frustrated like you do. I get discouraged like you do. I need to seek God like you do. I'm exactly the same as you. And we need one another. We need to be community together. And that's one of the the Bible words in 1 Corinthians 10. When we bless the, the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing? Aren't we participating? In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks not only about the individual you, but he talks about the the yous together, the plural you. It's far easier for people from Northern Ireland when we talk about yous. We talk about yous a lot. That's just part of our culture. We understand more of that corporate. Here's the message version of 1 Corinthians 10, 16. When we drink the cup of blessing, aren't we taking into ourselves the, the very life of Christ? Isn't it the same with the loaf of bread we break and eat? Don't we take into our bodies the very life of Christ? Because there is one loaf, our manyness becomes oneness. Christ doesn't become fragmented in us. Rather, we become unified in him. We don't reduce Christ to what we are. He raises us up to what he is. It's one of the reasons why I believe in a multicultural, multi-generational church. See, I don't believe in white churches. I don't believe in black churches. I don't believe in churches just for one cultural group. Now, obviously, if you're in India and there's no other white people, you're going to have an Indian church. We understand that, but, you know, where there are different cultures, I don't believe that one segment or one group, because Galatians 3.28 says that we are all one in Christ. No slave, no free person, no Jew, no non-Jew, Gentile. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter your education. It doesn't matter your bank balance. Christ himself prayed that we would express that unity as one together. This sharing of ourselves is so important. I believe God is a God of reconciliation. Not only us to him, but actually amongst people. Because we live in a fragmented, divided society, don't we? We live in polarized opinions. But actually in Christ, we're meant to be different. We're meant to be one in him. And I'm committed to building a healthy church for all cultures and all generations. And church is that opportunity to work together. But we do have to work together. In the morality book, Jonathan Sachs tells a wonderful story. He, he talks about a, a Jewish university. And he said, this Jewish university were losing all their boat races. For those of you from different cultures, you may have seen or heard about kind of Oxford and Cambridge having a, a boat race every year. And they decide who wins. And so there'll be one guy, the cox, shouting out instructions and, and keeping them in line and there was this Jewish university and they lost every single race every year and they were getting fed up because they were quite competitive and so they sent a spy to this other university that was always winning and they said we want to figure out the secret why do these guys always win 
And the guy come back really excited. He says, I figured it out. I've discovered why they always win. They are doing the exact opposite of us. They have eight people rowing and one person shouting instructions. Some of you just got it. You know, church can feel a little bit like that sometimes. But if we work together, then we can win the race. We are in a race. That's the analogy the Bible uses. We have a race to run. Individually, but corporately together. We have a race to run and we need to work together. Kerry's going to come and do some announcements and lead us. Just put the final slide up for me, please, Bethany. As we've done a few times over the last few weeks, just some questions for you, and, and the PDF will go up on the website straight after, so you'll be able to download the PDF and have a look at this. Some questions for reflection for you as an individual as you think about this, as you think about it this week. What are some of the areas that you need to respond to? How can you respond? For some of you, what's your next step from what you've heard this morning? So thank you, Kerry. So as David said, as a church, we're running a race, but we're also fighting a fight. And um, one of the things that we're called to do is to fight that fight together. And those of you that are doing the midweek group, I don't know how you found that putting on the armour of God prayer, I found it amazingly powerful that actually God gives us everything that we need to fight this fight. To, and as a church, we've got everything that we need to fight this fight. Because actually the world out there is divided in so many different ways, but the church should never be divided. The church is a place where we can come and put everything at the cross of Jesus, individually and as a church. And how do we do that? By taking the blood and the bread that he so willingly gave up for us. And so with our notices today, we're going to think about... I was really struck. I've been a number of times, I've, I've been to a talk or listened to a podcast, and they've talked about the Roman army which obviously Jesus would have been very familiar with. And in the Roman army, they, they were very famous for their defense. They were very famous for their ability to not be attacked. And the main reason was the way that they worked together. If you have a look, this was called the turtle defense. And underneath all those shields, there are soldiers. But because they're holding it up together and over the top, nothing can get through. And so when we're fighting our spiritual battle as a church, this is how God wants us to stand. And the words that I was thinking about when I was thinking about this were protect, share, serve, and report. And I think that's what we're called to do as a church. And so there are ways that we can do that. And this week, even this week, there are ways that we can really, really do that to show that we are committed to holding up our shield and doing our part. So the first thing that we can do, we were thinking about protecting. And the biggest way that we can protect our church and the people within it is to pray. We need to come together and pray. And so there's two opportunities to do that this week. 
as well as our individual prayer. So first of all, um, on Wednesday, Grace has set up a prayer meeting. How powerful will it be if we come together as a church and really pray together? So the time has changed. It's now 5.15 and we just get together on Zoom and it's just a chance for us to pray through anything that as um, a church we feel needs praying through. And so Grace will put the link out on Signal on Wednesday and you can join her on Zoom to pray. And the other one we've already mentioned, we need to be standing with Katie and Shane and particularly tomorrow when he goes in for his surgery. So tomorrow we've said that as a church for those people that can, we're going to have a day of prayer and fasting and we'll be able to meet in the church building at one o'clock and seven o'clock to come and really join our prayers together and really hold that family up to God. So that's the first way I think that we can protect our church. The next word that we use was share. It's so important that we share and we share honestly and we share openly. None of this I'm fine business, actually really being honest. And a way that we can do that is coming up, there's two ways that we can maybe do that. First of all, on the 24th of June, I'm afraid this is only for the ladies, but we've got a retreat day. That day is going to be a time for you to truly, honestly share your heart with God, but also with each other. And so we really are praying that every lady will find a way to be able to come to the retreat. And everything you, that you need to know is on that link you just need to book. And then the second thing, on Friday night we've got an encounter night, a time where you can come again and really honestly come before God and praise him and prayer and praise are the way that we, as a church we can be united in doing our spiritual battle. And then the next word that I was talking about was serving. And there's a number of ways that we can serve. And one of the ways that we can serve is financially. And it's so important that we do that. We have so many things as a church that we want to do. But they do cost money. And so it's really important that we are all doing our bit. And this isn't said to try and make people feel guilty. This isn't said to, for people to be able to go, oh, here they go again, they're asking for money. As David says weekly, the money isn't going towards the leadership. It's not going towards things that don't matter. It's going towards building God's kingdom. And so what really, really strikes me about the story when we've been thinking about all the different meals, and in particular the story of the boy that gave his loaves and fishes, the miracle in that story isn't really the fact that all those people were fed. It's the fact that what he gave was used to feed those people. And he gave what little he had. So even if it seems really, really futile to give because you haven't got much, give it. Because God multiplies what people give with an honest heart. And so it's really important that we do financially give and also serving. There are so many different ways to serve in this church. It's not a church where it's one person doing all the jobs. It's not a church where the leader does everything. We have to be united. Go back to that picture of the shields. Underneath those shields, it's really easy to imagine that the Roman army was just full of these confident people. Underneath those shields, there must have been people that were actually really shaking. There must have been people that were finding it hard to hold that shield up. But they did it together. 
And so serving together is another really important way that we can be united as his church. And then the last word that I put was report, because God wants us to share what we are experiencing. When we have those moments of pure joy, of pure healing, when God really uses an encounter night or one of David's sermons to really reach our heart, he doesn't want us to keep it to ourselves. He wants us to share it, and testimony is really, really important. And so community within new life is really, really important to us. And so it's really exciting this morning because our community is growing because we have got a number of people that are going to come into church membership this morning. So Dee can't be here this morning. If you're watching Dee, we hope you're feeling better. She's got some food poisoning. Uh, but if she's back next week, we'll, we'll bring Dee in. But Olga, Musa and Joseph, come forward, please. <clears throat> yeah, you can clap. You can clap. So in the Bible, in the book of Acts, it talks about Paul trying to join the disciples. So the word that's used there can literally mean to cement together. This was a very definite thing. This wasn't a casual thing. This just wasn't Paul attending. Paul was making a very definite point of spiritual commitment to the life of the local church. And that's what we believe is important to do. And part of that is what they did was called the right hand of fellowship. Seems a bit of an old fashioned term, but really it was a way we might say of a handshake of welcoming people in. So we're gonna do that and we're gonna go old school and say, Josie, welcome, we're we're glad you're here. God bless you. Musa, God bless you, we're glad you're here. Olga, God bless you and we're glad you're here. And if you'd like to say anything, this is a, a good opportunity to say that. David and Ian are gonna come in a minute and join me as we pray for you. Go ahead. Yeah, I just want to say um, thank you to everybody who's a part of this church. I think the one thing I've I shared with a few people here is when we moved to Crawley, that's myself and my little one, my mom was already here to live with her for some additional support. We had been looking for churches um, locally, and there was not one church where we felt we belonged. But there was something about this church. The first day I came in, I think my mom might remember, remember that. I told her, Mom, I found our church. We got it. And my mom was looking at me like, really, Musa, really? And I said, yes. So the following Sunday, (laughs) so the following Sunday, she came to church with me and she instantly agreed and she was like, yes, we found a home here. Um, And that speaks volumes to just how we, you know, you all come together as a church and you welcome people sometimes without even realizing it. Um, And that's how we were blessed by, and obviously why we're making this commitment today. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. Yeah, feel free to say something. Now I have something to say. Ah. (laughs) I'm going to (laughs) copy. No, it's so true, though. When I first came here in the end of 2021, I had moved down uh, from my family. I've always been around my whole family. And then I moved down, and I was all alone. It was so daunting. It was so difficult. And everyone was so welcoming. And I really did find another family. So I'm really grateful. Bless you. So David and Ian, why don't you come and join us as we pray for these guys. Pray God's blessing on you. And we'll forgive you, Josie, for having any doubts. uh, Guys, come. 
So if you'd give the microphone to David and David, if you briefly pray and pray God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, Lord, when we become Christians, Lord, you don't leave us to get on with it by ourselves. You place us in family. And we thank you for these three sisters that have come and are calling this their home. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the encouragement of them just coming and wanting to be with us. Lord, that's an encouragement in itself. But Lord, we pray now. Lord, that you'll help them, Lord, find their place of service among us. Lord, we pray that, Lord, that you will bless them and we will bless them in order that they can bless us. But together that we'll be able to bless the community round about mm. us. So we thank you for them and we, we pray your blessing on them. Amen. 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 Do you want to pray in? Dear Lord and Henry Farrell, we thank you, Lord, for these lovely ladies, Lord, that have joined us. And I really pray, Lord, that you'll provide for them, Lord, whatever their need is at the moment, that you'll just provide mm. for them, Lord, whether it's monetary, job-wise, or whatever it is, Lord, that you'll just um, bless them in every way and their families in your precious name. We welcome them here in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you. We're looking forward to seeing what God does in your life. Do you have anything else? Yes. So um, we do have some birthdays. We haven't done these for a while. But we do have some birthdays. Where's Liz? Liz, you have to come to the front. Sam, you can come if you want, but you might be a little bit shy. But if, you, if you're happy to, come. This is Sam. Sam was eight yesterday. Wow. Happy birthday, Sam. And then what, what Sam gets, is it your birthday too? Wow. How did we miss that? Huh? When was your birthday? A while ago. Last week? Recently. Let, let's say recently. We haven't sang yet, no. If, because of the way things, the flow of services in May, if you're feeling left out because it was your birthday and we haven't sang to you, then feel free to come to the front and we'll sing God bless you. I'm not left out. Yeah. So we'll sing God bless you all. Okay. Who else there? Come on then. You're looking very summery today, buddy. I'm impressed. Was your birthday too? My goodness, you're coming out of the woodwork now. So we're going to have to sing God bless you all as we do that. It's up to you. I'm not going to... It's up to you. I, I don't mind. Oh, more. My goodness. She won't come up. No chance. So um, we're going we're gonna to sing. I'm going to turn my microphone off so you're fine. So after three, we're going to sing happy birthday and then I'll pray a blessing and close the service, all right? So may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious towards you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. If you've been watching online, we'll see you soon. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed the teaching. We'd love to hear from you, so please contact us. All the details can be found on our website. God bless.